The following content is provided to you as a ministry of Snowbird Wilderness Outfitters, a high-adventure Christian wilderness camp in Andrews, North Carolina. Snowbird Wilderness Outfitters exist to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ through the exposition of Scripture and personal relationships in order to equip the church to impact this generation. For more information, visit our website at swoutfitters.com or follow us on Twitter using the handle at SnowbirdSwo. Enjoy the message. Hello, hello. Hey, everybody. Everybody have a good afternoon? Good, good, good. Hey, so we're going we're gonna to jump right in. We actually got a lot of questions, um, which is exciting. We did get too many questions um, for the hour that we have. We're going to try to end right at 6. So we took some of the questions that y'all asked and kind of squished them together and made other questions. Uh, so some of these you'll recognize hints of some of the questions you asked within, uh, within other questions, and some of them are verbatim, just straight up your questions. So some of the questions that kind of covered the same subject area, we, uh, we kind of combined. So um, you guys know Gar. Uh, he spoke last night. Little next to him is, uh, is Brody's wife playing the drums. Next to her is Bethany Clark, uh, and her husband is Sean Clark, who runs our missions program here, and Rob Conti, my father. Uh, so um, I'll be sharing tonight. So <laughs> I got jokes. All right, so. Uh, I'm going to, I'm going to start. We've got nine questions that we're going to try to work through, uh, before six o'clock. So we're going to keep our answers kind of short and sweet. And then, so you guys are on the panel. Um, we'll go down the list. And then if any of y'all want to add on to any, uh, any of these answers, please, uh, please feel free. So our first question is for Gar. The question reads, I want to start leading my wife and kids towards the Lord, but I didn't grow up in a home like that. So where do I start? How do I start? How do I teach the Bible? What does that look like? Uh, I had several questions that kind of uh, led into that, but I want to start leading, but I didn't grow up in a home like that. Where should I start? The, the first place to start is your own personal holiness. Like That's the biggest component to leading your family well. If you're not in the Word, if you're not in prayer, then you're not going to have the, the wisdom or knowledge to back that up. Uh, secondly, I would say is to, to serve your wife well. The, the picture of the marriage relationship is a proclamation of the gospel. So your kids are going to learn so much about uh, what the gospel is and what it was meant to be by how you serve and love your wife well. So if you want them to have good biblical perspectives of what manhood and womanhood look like, then, then you need to serve your wife well. Uh, next, I put uh, have a deep love for scripture. You, you have to be in the word. In our home, one thing that's been effective for us is just setting aside time in the evening. Uh, it doesn't mean that we're so regimented that it's always uh, taking place right on time, but setting aside 20 to 30 minutes uh, to either memorize scripture as a family throughout the week, uh, just have time and study. We have younger kids, so one thing that's been helpful uh, for us lately is uh, Jesus' parables, to, to talk in parables. It helps children understand. We're able to talk through those things. Uh, last thing I put was that um, to be the spiritual leader in the home, you really need to know the spiritual needs of your, of your wife and your kids. And, and as they grow up, those things change. So uh, what I see is, you know, I, I have a, a boy who's 11 or 12 years old now, and 
as he's entering into a new season, now his spiritual needs are changing. I need to focus more about teaching him how to use his strengths to serve others and to protect and to guide that. Uh, I have a daughter who's nine years old, so now it's time. Uh, the need there is uh, for her to start to find her identity in Christ and to shape that. And then I've got one who's six, so with him it's just really setting a good biblical foundation, like solid gospel truths. And leaning into those things and being intentional about them, I think, is, is really how you're going to change the course in the home, going from not having that background to setting up your children to have success with their children and so forth. That's great. Uh, one thing I would say, if you're just starting out in this and, and didn't have that template to kind of work off of, one of the things that helps me as I think about it is to have formal and informal times of teaching, uh, you know, especially if you have kids. Uh, so you have these formal times where you sit down and open the word together, and then you have the informal, which is just as you're driving down the road and a question gets asked. You know, you take those opportunities to insert the gospel as you go. Um, so thank you, Gar. Uh, our second question is for Bethany, uh, and this question is uh, from a wife, and she's asking this. She said, I'm more of a natural leader than my husband is, so how can I encourage him to lead without manipulating the situation? Oh, that was great. Um, okay, so I'm more of a natural leader than my husband. If you're asking this question, um, probably you are firstborn, and you're probably your tendency is that if you see poor leadership, you want to fix that. I'm speaking for myself there. Um, so, like, I am that that is true of myself. Like, if I see something that's not being done right since I was a kid, I'm the one that's going to fix that. The problem is when you carry that into a marriage, that's not what God intended. In Colossians um, 3 18, it says, Wives submit to your husbands. My problem when we first got started, was that submission. If I saw something that needed to be addressed or fixed, I wanted it, you know, that's my personality. I'm justice-based. I want to see um, justice serve righteousness implemented quickly. And he would say, I want to pray about that. And that would, like, get all over me because I saw it as an action. And the Lord, it, it took a really, um, we had a really, we, we laugh. We're going to be married 15 years in May. And we celebrate 14 good ones and one really, really hard one because that year I really had to um, just fight, really and wrestle with the Lord because I needed to learn that sometimes just giving him a minute and let him, when he says he's praying about something, he is praying about something. And he is, that is more powerful than anything I could say or do. And a lot of times the thing that the Lord taught me over that year was my um, perception of my own um, ability to do, to discern situations or that I was right in my own eyes. I don't, now the Lord has stripped that from me and I'm so thankful because I don't trust my own discernment. I do not. Like when something comes up, I'm like, hey, what do you think? Because I know that he prays. I know that he's in the word. Now, if your husband is not a believer, the Bible says that you can win him if you will just chill out for just a minute and give him a chance. Maybe ask him, how can I best serve in our home this way, um, studying your man, figuring out for Sean and I, he's a steady guy. Um, he's not all over the place. He's, I can, I know what to expect, but there are times in our marriage that he says, Hey, don't put me on your list. You know, I'm not on the schedule. And I'm like, Oh, okay, hold on. I'm really sorry. And I have to, I have to be humble and I have to stop. He's not one of the kids. He's my husband. And I need to ask him before I move forward. But I've had to learn that because I'm a, hey, I'm going to think, I'm going to go first, and then I'm going to see if that's okay, what we just did. And he's taught me graciously through his patience that I've got to do it the other way. If you're in an unbelieving situation, same thing. God says to submit to your husband. Now, you're going to also have to submit to God in that. Unless he's asking you to do something contrary to his word, 
you might need to just serve your husband by submission and just see what God does. Give him time. See what the Holy Spirit will do through your obedience. Even if you don't like it, even if it goes against, if you ask this question, that's going to bother you because you're not going to like that. You're going to want to do it your way and you're going to want to have it done right. But you're going to have to take a minute and trust the Lord. Trust him to be your father and put that. The last thing I would say is in Genesis 3, we see that um, Eve is tempted there in the garden. She adds to the rules. I'm gonna, we're going to talk about this at the women's retreat. But when she's talking to the enemy in the garden, she adds to the list of things here. She says, God says, um, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that's in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it. She adds to the rules. God never said that. A lot of times women, we're deceived by our own thoughts, by our own sense of what we think is right. And our husbands, God has complimented us with them. And if we will just give them time, it, it will serve us. That, but the Bible promises that. He says to do it, and he's going to meet that if you'll just let him have a chance. And so that's what I would say. Great. Thanks, Bethany. <clears throat> Our third question is for Rob. Um, how do we move past deep hurts that we've caused each other in the past? And what does forgiveness look like moving forward? And... and you know, it's kind of broad, so I'm going to say some general things, and obviously, depending on what deep hurts means, you know, it, it might need more attention and more, obviously, more specific counsel. Um, but I'm going to start with where, where really where everything is going to start for us, the foundation of understanding um, the gospel for ourselves, understanding our identity in Christ um, and the forgiveness that, that if you're a believer, if you're a child of God, the forgiveness that you've received, that, that is foundational. Like Brody talked about this morning, right? Like if those things are in place vertically, um, and then I have, I have the opportunity to horizontally um, have that type of relationship where there can be forgiveness, there can be reconciliation. Things that seemed insurmountable all of a sudden are very manageable in, in, by the grace of God. So I, I want to read real quick from Colossians chapter 3, um, and he is talking about our identity. He, he's talking about because we've died with Christ, because we die with Christ, and we've been raised with him, and that Christ is our life, and then there's things that we can take off, and there's things that we can put on. And then he says this, in, uh, starting in verse 12, Put on, then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called, in one body, and be thankful let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So I think that passage alone will be an awesome place to start if you know, okay, you're, you're on the same page, you know there's hurts in your past, there's there's been on both sides offenses, and you know you need to move forward. Man, this would be an awesome place to meditate and to work through this passage together and to begin to apply these things as you're vertically, personally going to the Lord to receive that forgiveness, receive that amazing grace, right? When there is no greater offense than when a created being sins against his holy God. 
period, right? Nothing trumps that. There's nothing more evil than that. So for us to receive forgiveness from God, man, how much more then should we be able to extend that forgiveness? How much more should we be able to take that grace we're receiving and bend that towards our spouse? So that, that has to be the starting point, um, the foundation. And then I do think within that, within the relationship, that man, to, to know what repentance looks like on both sides. If you're in this situation, if you've been offended, you know, and, and, and the person is asking for forgiveness, then, yeah, to, to be able to extend that to them, but to realize, okay, forgiveness is not going to look the same if they're not asking for forgiveness, if they're not owning their sin, if, if there's a qualification to their apology. You know what I'm saying? I'm sorry, but you tag that but on there, and you just ruined your apology, right? You just showed, like, I'm not repenting. Like, if you're repenting of something, man, that comes without qualification. That, that comes with what, a, a, a whatever-it-takes attitude. I've offended you, and I'll do whatever it takes to make it right. And that means that, man, I'm, I'm letting go of whatever rights I thought I had in this argument, wh- whatever angles I think I can take to win the argument to make myself look better. Then I let go of that and just say, that was my fault. I'm sorry. And whatever it takes to make it right is what I'm willing to do which means that there's no demands placed on what their forgiveness of your actions are gonna look, is going to look like. Because you may, you may be able to forgive your spouse, or your for, spouse may forgive you, and it may take a long time for their emotions to catch back up. It may take a long time. They may forgive you, but it may take a long time for trust to be rebuilt. It may take a long time for them to genuinely show like they're excited that you're home again, right? But that, that takes time and work, and if you're real, but if you're really repentful, you'll be willing to wade through that and to know, like, okay, I've got to earn that genuine response back. If I, if I want to make love to this person again, like, I want, I want them to feel safe and secure and appreciated and loved, and I, and I don't want to rush that. So, um, love bears all things, hopes all things, endures all things. And so we can, like, whatever has happened within our marriages, man, it, there's redemption possible, not based on my love, not based on my spouse's love, but based on the love of God through Jesus Christ that we can then extend to one another. Great. Uh, question number four is for Little. Uh, we are trying to use hospitality to reach people for the gospel. So do you have any tips on how we can best do that? Uh, so how do we extend hospitality while also protecting our time as a family? Okay, um, for some of you guys, you're extroverts, so it's pretty easy. You just have people in your home, no big deal. Um, and some of you are introverts, and so having someone in your home would be like the bad dream where you go to school naked. Um, <laughs> that's me, um, honestly. But um, we've had tons and tons of people in our home ever since Brody and I have been married, um, and but it is something that Satan does battle um, against because you think about the physical force of gravity. I mean, it's just brings everything to the center of the earth and then it takes thousands of pounds for a rocket to get out of there. Right. So same thing. There's like a psychological force that wants us to pull everything into ourselves, our tendencies, our home. And, st- and so we have to have the love of the Lord and wanting to share that, you know, to be able to actually minister to people in our home. Um, and Christ invited us into his, his household, and he wants to sit with us and, and sup with us and sing over us. So the example's there for us to follow. Um, and so 
one thing that I've really have been encouraged by is people coming into our homes, whether they're like newlyweds or um, like just a teenage girl. But so many people doubt the the faithfulness of Christ to provide a good um, home, a good family where the husband's faithful to the wife, the wife's faithful to the husband, the kids are actually obedient, <laughs> and they're not throwing stuff at each other. To see that, to actually see that, people need to see that because it's so absent from everything that's on TV or in their schools or whatever. So just the ministry of that presence, when they someone walks into your home and they literally walk into the presence of the Lord, that's ministry in itself. Um, so don't be overwhelmed that you have to entertain. It's actually better if you don't try to impress or have an extravagant meal, popcorn and Coke, whatever. You know, just like hanging out is the main thing, not trying to impress. Because then, then it basically just flops because at the end of the night, you've, you haven't had intentional conversation. Lord hasn't been felt in your home because you're just trying to keep everything ni- nice and tidy. Um, um, I wanted to read one thing. It's, uh, what is strategic hospitality? It says, what I mean by this is a hospitality that thinks strategically and asks, how can I draw the most people into a deep experience of God's hospitality by the use of my home or my church home? Uh, who might need reinforcements just now in the battle against loneliness? Who are the people who could be brought together in my home most strategically for the sake of the kingdom? What two or three people's complementary complementary abilities might explode in a new ministry if they had two hours to brainstorm over dinner in my home? Strategic hospitality is now is not content to just have the old clan over for dinner again and again. It strategizes how to make the hospitality of God known and felt all over the world. From the lonely church member right here to a farmer in Liberia. Don't even ever underestimate the power of your living room as a launching pad for new life and hope and ministry. So just, you know, even being strategic with it is really cool. Thinking if you know somebody who's super organizational and somebody that's real creative and is the idea guy, having those people in your home together so the Lord can create and stir up different forms of ministry in your home and you can be able to host that in your home. Um, And then as far as it kind of being careful with family time, um, you know, if you have a couple nights set aside in your home where you have that family time where you're just hanging out, reading scripture, um, then, yeah, maybe don't let that be um, tampered with. Keep those, those, those nights, maybe if it's Wednesday night, Sunday night, keep those, you know, for your family only. But um, really just having people in your home um, and, and letting you be spirit-led. I think a lot of times, say, if you've got issues with your teenage son and you're dealing with him, you know, looking at stuff on his phone or your little girl's being a brat. Well, you don't want to necessarily bring somebody in that night. (laughs) You might want to be able to just focus and just like really work on that within your family. So you have to be spirit led as in anything. It's just when the timing's right and all that. Um, But I think that's good. That's good. I think so many families, there's two ditches on the side of the on either side of the road to avoid, you know, like the one where you got people over constantly every night. And so you're never around your family or the one where you're around your family every night, every night and you never reach out outside of your home. And that's, that's probably the more common of the two, uh, that, that you're more insulated. Um, so I, I really, really appreciate the, the thought of you have to be led by the spirit to have wisdom on that. So yeah, thanks. So we're going to go to question number seven and come back to your question a little. Um, so uh, this question, <coughs> excuse me, had several questions kind of along these lines, but the question, uh, as, it's, as it's written here, reads, 
when should we seek counsel from outside our marriage for an issue versus protecting each other by just dealing with it ourselves? Does that make sense? So when, when should we look for outside counsel versus just dealing with the issue ourselves? Uh, you know, we want to guard against just venting to friends and tearing down our spouses, uh, but we also want to guard against enabling sin. So uh, w- when do we look for outside counsels versus dealing with it ourselves? And that question's for Rob. Um, so I would start with, uh, I guess, at the foundation of checking your own motivation for why, why you would want to communicate with somebody else. I, I think that's an important step because, and you've probably experienced this, you've seen it, if not struggled with it yourself, you've heard somebody else do it where uh, you maybe made the mistake of asking them how their spouse was doing, and next thing you know, know is you're 10 minutes into it, and they're just on a rant about their spouse, and it's you know, if you're on the other side of that, it's uncomfortable, like, oh, man, you're trashing your wife right now, you know, and, and if it's a dude, like, you know, I'll stop him, like, time out, you know, and, but so what's the motivation? Is it to, am I simply just gossiping? Am I, am I slandering? Am I, am I trying to gain attention and sympathy by belittling my spouse and making myself look better? Um, you know, and so it's simple, just, motivation like what what's at the heart of this and to, and to check that again against against the gospel um and then i think hopefully that's not the case right but if, if it is that's sin that needs to be repented of and and work through to guard and protect one another that, that that should always be the motivation that my motivation in my marriage should be to guard and protect not to hurt and heap shame right um, and always working towards redemption and the, and the picture of the gospel. Um, and then I think from there is, is having, having the conversation, you know, not in the midst of the issue, but like backing up from the issue and saying, all right, what are we comfortable sharing with other people? Just having that conversation with one another. And, you know, you know people in your life that are very, very guarded, where you don't really know anything personal about them. When you try to ask them those questions, they're deflecting. And then you know other people where you're like, I never wanted to hear that. And I don't think I can ever talk to you again, right? Um, <laughs> and so somewhere in the middle is what we're all aiming for. And, but, but to have the conversation, okay, what are we comfortable saying? And then who, who are we comfortable sharing sensitive information with? And because, you know, for my wife, she may have friends that she would desire to share things with. And you go, you know what? I, I don't feel the same. I don't. I don't. And it's not against that person, but I just don't trust this sacred information from within our family to that person. What about, what about this person? Or what about if we went outside a little bit further uh, to an older godly couple that's maybe not as tied in as tightly to our community to, to get counsel on this specific thing? And so having that conversation, just always sink, uh, seeking to be on the same page with one another, I think is really important. Um, and so then from there, I would say, there's a few that are just uh, should be obvious, and, and I want to give you, but maybe in the in the situation it doesn't feel obvious, or you don't feel freedom here. And, and I want to say, man, if there's abuse, right? Like whether that's sexual abuse, physical abuse, verbal abuse, where where you're being uh, physically assaulted, uh, and sexual assault happen, it, it's it's not uncommon within marriage that sexual assault happens. And if that's the situation, then absolutely you need to get help from the outside. And if, if in a moment of clarity in the light of day, if your spouse isn't on the same page with you on that, they want to they hide and cover that sin in the sense of a fig leaf, 
then, yeah, you may have to take some drastic steps where you say, you know, I love you, but I, I got to get help. This is, not, this is not safe and this is not healthy, and you need to get outside help uh, to bring in a pastor or a counselor or maybe even legal um, help on a situation like that. Um, oftentimes, especially for women, right, in, in an abuse situation, they feel so isolated and alone and that there, there'll be even greater repercussions if they go outside the home with that. Um, but it's really the only way to help uh, someone would help him get over those heart issues that would cause him to do any of those things. Uh, so I think those are obvious ones where you got to get help. You got to go to a, somebody you trust who can be your advocate to get you the type of help that you need for both of you for your marriage. Um, you know, and uh, there's so much I want to say there. Uh, and men, men, if this, if that's you, right? Like if you're the abuser, like you've got to have you've got to muster up at least enough courage to go ask another man to help you, right? Like if you know at home when no one else is looking that you'll put your hands on your wife, or your children, and you can't control yourself, then you better muster up, screw them on, and muster up enough courage to go outside your house and look a man in the eyes and say, I need help. Um, did I answer the question? <laughs> uh, you know, that's uh, a big deal. It's a big deal, and oftentimes both people feel trapped there. The, the one being abused feels trapped, and then the one who's the abuser keep, continues to lie to themselves and tell themselves that, I will never do that again. I'll never do that again. I'll never do that again. You lie to yourself and you put yourself back in the same situation. You have to break the cycle. You have to get outside help. Uh, with any of these questions, we're given five-minute answers on huge, huge topics that, you know, so, for some of you, this is like, this is the last decade of my marriage, you know. So please, let's let these be the beginnings of conversations, not the end of conversations. You know, we, we have the supper table tonight. We have after session tonight. Let this be conversation starters. Uh, if these are, uh, if, if these describe a situation like your own or like someone that you know and love, uh, because no one can adequately answer these questions in five minutes. So let these be the beginnings of conversations. So uh, question number five. Uh, this question is for Little. How would you counsel a wife whose husband is battling an addiction to porn? All right. Um, so first of all, um, I've never had to experience this. Um, so, but if you're in here and you have, I want to say I'm sorry, first of all. Um, and I hope that you could just wade through it and be thankful for the intervention that you that you did find out. Um, I remember a couple times, like just having to find out something that wasn't good, um, and it was it was it was awful to find it out. But just being so thankful that the Lord intervened at that moment. Um, so, just fighting to even be thankful for intervention was a huge thing. Um, I think a lot of times when a lady. From what I've, the ladies I've talked to, when they find out that this has occurred, uh, they start kind of, sometimes they have a knee jerk and they start kind of carving like an idol out of their husband. Like, what, can, what did I do? What can I do 
to make him not look at this? How can I make my body look better? How can I draw his attention? And they start carving this idol um, that is very, very draining. Um, and they want constant approval and affirmation from their husband. And this just puts a worse strain on everything. Um, your husband is not meant to bear the weight of that idolatry, but you're also not meant to bear the weight of preventing his sin. Um, and so I, I have six thoughts that hopefully, um, I'll just run through them really quick, that hope, hopefully just um, the Lord can just relieve you of, of some of um, their emotion. Um, but first of all, I'd say like if there's pride and entitlement in your heart stirring, it's going to be a huge hindrance to the process. Um, if you went into the doctor's office and you said, hey, I've got a fever um, and cold chills, um, and the doctor said, I'm not really sure what what's going on. Let me give you some antibiotic. But if you said, oh, and also got a gunshot wound in my back, that could be maybe what's going on. Oh, yeah, that that, that makes more sense. Um, a lot, hopefully this makes sense, but a lot of times if you're striving for, or if you're bitter and you're having bitterness towards your husband and you're having entitlement, a lot of times what you, what you have is a bigger problem of the pride in your life. And like, I know that sounds harsh, um, because what you've found out, but, all, but a lot of times we need to ask the Lord to strip us of our pride and entitlement, um, so that we can be, have soft eyes and see our husbands with soft eyes and forgive, um, as the Lord forgives us, um, so the first one is that you are not in a you are not in a battle against your husband. You are and your husband are in the battle together. Um, I think Satan tries to isolate the two, um, but and that's what Satan loves to do. You know, we we eat his counsel when we're alone, and so if you can realize that this is a battle that you and your husband can fight together, maybe that'll help the the, the problem. Um, if he'll go to counseling, if he'll pray with you. Seek community um, where you can um, find some people that you can trust. So that would be um, the first one. The second one, um, his sin is not your body's fault. Um, that kind of goes back to what I was saying before. You take the most beautiful girl in Hollywood, and there is probably infidelity within her marriage at some point. Um, a lot, it, it doesn't have to do with, with your body. Um, and I know I've talked to a few ladies who just got consumed with working out, you know, and whatever, whatever. And I say something real practical, try to allow your time with the Lord, your time praying over your husband to be way greater than the amount of time that you're trying to fine-tune your body and stuff. That's just something practical. Um, the third one is to embrace the sovereignty of Christ and trust him for your husband. Um, Christ, the Lord, um, is the Lord over your husband's struggle. Um, if your husband will ever see the, the ugliness of his porn addiction, he must first see the beauty of Christ. Um, so if you can start striving in your own walk to um, try to root and manifest the attributes of Christ, that, that patience, that loving kindness, that tenderness, long-suffering, start to grow those in your own heart and let, the, and let your husband see the beauty of Christ through those attributes, I think that can help kind of shine light on his addiction also and allow him to fall more in love with Christ by seeing Christ in you. Um, the next one is, uh, your sin of bitterness is not justified. And this is like a harsh one again, but in scripture, you know, it just says, um, to put aside bitterness. Um, so don't feel like you're entitled to that is, is 
as crazy as that seems, um, really pray to the Lord about that. Um, the next one, he needs, um, the, your husband needs you and your forgiveness now more than ever. Um, in scripture, when it says to bear with one another, I think this is a times when Christ is really pleading to us to do this. It's times when your aunt, your husband's sin hurts you and it causes pain. Um, but being able to bear, bear him up in that, um, and forgive, um, and be like Christ. Christ in scripture says that he delights in showing mercy. And so fighting to delight and showing mercy to your husband, um, is a fight, but I, I feel like it's hopeful, a hopeful cause to pray for. Um, the next one is your husband is not your savior and you are not his. Um, we are in all in need of grace. Um, give your husband to God every day, have hope in his story and your story and how the Lord's going to redeem that and how later on you can comfort someone with that same comfort that Christ has given you in your situation. Um, and a, a few scattered things. One is, I think, um, when this is going on, I don't see responsibility sexually towards your husband. If you know he's looking at porn and this is just something that's going on, I don't feel like you have to sleep with your husband you know, I don't think that you're responsible at that point. I know for me, um, I, I would have a really hard time with that. So I, I don't think that would be a responsibility that you would have under that condition. Um, and just being a peacemaker in your home, though, with your kids, like seeing, seeing the peace in your home, being able to be met and felt amongst all that circumstance and allowing your response and, and your, to be contentment in that. Um, and also if your husband isn't, um, willing to, he kind of told you and isn't willing to do counseling or anything like that. Also, um, always have this example of my grandma. She was saved when she was like uh, eight, I think. And her husband wasn't a believer, and but she was in love with the Lord and love with scripture. Uh, I can remember every night, she was a routine type lady. She would put the tape on her side of her hair to keep her hair to be a certain way when she woke up in the morning. She had this full routine every night, but it ended with her falling asleep with her Bible on her chest. She was in love with the scripture and in love with the Lord. And even when she had had strokes later on in life and she couldn't read well and she couldn't, um, she couldn't really process well, she got one of the Jesus Storybook Bibles and she would just look through it. And um, she, she was content like that in the midst of being married to a man who wasn't a believer who was pretty ugly to her a lot of the times, but, um, and she raised two godly daughters, you know, and so finding, even having those type of examples of how Christ can make you content and keep you in love with his word and his character um, are, are hopeful things, so. Wow, that, that was awesome. I, I just want to follow up a couple things. One, you know, what Little was saying about don't feel like you have to, you know, sleep with him if th if that's the case because this this is a big deal. Uh, watching pornography, looking at pornography, that is committing adultery. No qualifications, like it is adultery to look at images on your phone of other people and to lust after them. That is committing adultery, right? Like if I were to do that, I would I would be disqualified from being the pa a pastor at the church that I attend. Like I'd be disqualified. I'd be done. I I'd lose my job here preaching. Uh, like it is adultery, and it need, and I think it's become so common that we've we've downplayed it, right? And and it may seem like if if your mind when when little said that was well that'll just make things worse, 
that that's the problem is go back to what Gar taught about last night is we need a biblical view of sexuality, not the world's view where, well, it's okay if he works up an appetite over here as long as he comes home to satisfy it. No, that is not the Bible. That is not godly sexuality. That is not honor the Lord. No, all of it should happen within marriage, right? And so um, these are Jesus's words, uh, Matthew uh, chapter 5, verse 27, you've heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you, I, Jesus, say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. Jesus isn't being dramatic. He's being sober and clear, right? This is adultery. And if you continue in it, don't think for a second that you're a believer. To, to continue in gross, deliberate sin, a believer doesn't do that. That path leads to hell. So he's saying, yeah, desperate measures. Do whatever it takes to rid yourself of that. Do we need to rely on the grace of God and the finished work of Jesus? Absolutely. And then do whatever it takes to rid yourself of that addiction. And don't dare, don't dare place on your wife the expectations of, well, if you met my needs more often, I wouldn't be doing this. That's wrong. That is a perversion in your heart that leads you to commit those sins. Don't you put, right, that that's, that's back to Adam standing next to Eve going, the woman you gave me, God. Don't do that. Don't heap your guilt and shame on her. Take your guilt and shame to the cross, be forgiven, and then walk in repentance, not shame. Walk in repentance. Receive God's grace and move forward. Great. <clears throat> so we're doing good. We got two more questions. Everybody hanging in there? Great. Uh, we got this question. I don't know who wants to handle it. Um, my wife put coleslaw on a tortilla, and I don't know how I can forgive her. <laughs> Anybody? Lever. All right, question number eight. Um, I legit get that question. Someone texted that to me. Uh, question number eight. This question's for Gar. Um, how is a wife supposed to want and enjoy sex with her husband when things outside of the bedroom are bothering her? Uh, like an argument with her husband, lack of reg- regular support from her husband, things like that. This, this is addressing not, not something so much as porn in the marriage, but uh, things aren't... aren't clicking outside of the bedroom and so how, how can a wife how's a wife supposed to want to enjoy sex with her husband when things outside the bedroom are bothering her yeah okay so like, like we talked about last night sex isn't the fuel in the relationship it's an expression of the health of the relationship so uh, as as i read through this question man, i see arguments and lack of regular support like that's the highlight i see i I don't see this as a lack of sexual desire this is a breakdown of communication in the marriage so uh for the husband uh if your wife comes to you and says that she doesn't feel supported like she feels a lack of support like that should be a huge indictment like you should take that seriously because god's charge to adam was to work and to keep right provide protect so that means that you are not a safe emotional covering for your wife. You're not good protection for her. 
So you can't expect her to be vulnerable in a sexual relationship and be healthy there if she doesn't even feel safe emotionally under your covering. So if your wife brings that up to you, don't blow that off. That's not a conversation to avoid. Um, but as far as the arguments go, so last night we talked about kind of the practical application leaving that was I said, you know, go to God and then go to your spouse. And the text I used was, Uh, Psalm 139, starting verse 23, it says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts, and see if there be any grievous way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. And the idea of that, of course, is to to build vertical communication, like Brody talked about, vertical communication before we start working on, like, horizontal reconciliation. So leading me in the way of everlasting and searching any grievous way, like, I should be asking the Lord to remove any bitterness in my heart before I enter into that conversation. Like, I should be asking the Lord to clear the way so I can be, like, an agent for Christ in my spouse's life. And, and as I come in, now I should be pushing them towards the Lord, pushing them towards forgiveness and repentance as a way of teaching them to walk uh, in a manner that more closely resembles Christ. But unfortunately, what we do a lot of times is we clothe ourselves in self-righteousness, and then we walk into that argument and we're really more concerned about being right than we are about being reconciled to one another. And that's a, a dangerous place to be because we're removing the grace. Like we're forgiving, forgetting God's grace towards us. So if you're willing to bring up the offense, you better be willing to forgive when you, when you get, into that, uh, get into that conversation. Otherwise, what you're going to do is that's just going to, that argument is just going to be one more thing that you're going to put in your pocket to go along with all the other discontent and all the other lack of support and everything else that you're adding in and you're going to grow in self-righteousness, and now you're going to build this superiority complex over your spouse, and you're going to create a, a bigger wedge between the two of you. So I, I'm not saying that, uh, from the sound of it, like I, I'm not seeing like your relationship's in a disastrous state. I'm just saying you guys probably need, need some help with communication. So one, drive that between the two of you. Like Make it clear to your spouse that, that there are things that need to be addressed, and do that in, in grace and love. And then if that, if that doesn't happen, then then bring in a mediator, bring in outside counsel, good biblical counsel to help that. And a lot of times once the communication is opened back up and, and you have an opportunity, then a lot of that bitterness and resentment will go away. Because when you say that you don't want or enjoy sex with your husband, well, it's because you don't want or enjoy him outside the bedroom. So if you don't want him outside, you're not going to want him inside. So th- there has to be communication more than anything. So uh, the last question kind of goes along with that question and really really has more to do with communication than anything else. Uh, we kind of put, put several questions together that dealt with what are, what are some guidelines for handling disagreements? How can we compromise without arguing? Uh, how can we communicate without getting mad? Uh, a, a lot of different things that are centered around communication. So Rob's going to answer this, and I wanted to, to just give a couple thoughts um, on my own uh, first, and I really appreciate what Gar said there, uh, and something, something to kind of hang on to. Uh, he said, a lot of times we're more concerned with being right than being reconciled. I think that is huge, uh, and, and if we'd only keep in mind, do I want to be right, or do I want to be truly reconciled with my spouse, that would squish a lot of the arguments right off the bat. Um, because a lot of things that we get upset about aren't really worth getting upset about. So I'm going to show you something that is really silly that I showed my kids. I'm going to 
throw up a picture on the board. And this really helped my kids. So I drew this on a paper plate. It's too zoomed in here. But my kids kept arguing. And so I drew this on a paper plate during lunch. Is this worth getting upset about? If no, drop it. Just be done. If yes, then you have options. You cannot whine about it. You can't back talk about it. You can't bottle it up. So your only option is talk it out. So if it's worth getting upset about, then you need to talk it out. If it's not worth, worth getting upset about, then you need to drop it. And I think for our marriages too, like obviously we're not going to whine and back talk and things like that. But a lot of times if it's worth getting upset about, we do walk off or we do blow up or we do bottle it up or we do bring up the past or something other than talk it out that we don't have conversations that are in the light of day without the heat of emotion in the moment uh and so we we don't communicate things well with one another and i i think thinking about communication is more about being reconciled than being right man communication is not who's really good at crafting sentences it's really more about patient love It's not about crafting correct sentences. It's about patiently trying to understand what your spouse is saying, like the content of what they're saying and the intent behind it. So I know me and my wife, we've been married for 13 years, and we communicate in very different ways. And I, I did not take into account when we first got married that our families were very different. Like her family, the background, the way her family operated was they would bottle things up. And they did not talk things out. They would bottle things up. Well, my family are over-communicators. And like, seems like something's wrong. No, really, what's wrong? You know, it's like, and so coming from those very two different backgrounds, we didn't show each other a lot of grace. Because I'd be like, let's talk it out. Let's talk it out. And she'd be like, I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. You know, and like, it. Because we came from different backgrounds and we weren't patient with each other. To, and so, like, I think appreciating each other's family background, but also their communication styles are, will really help as we, as we think through how do we talk things out. So, like, uh, just in, as an example, coming through that, that background, for me, having a background of really our family talked everything out, I know when I get into an argument or when, when my wife and I have a disagreement or we don't see eye to eye, I have a tendency to get real quiet think about exactly what I want to say, and then say exactly what I want to say. For her, she talks it out. And she might go through a lot of dead ends before she actually arrives at what she wants to say, you know, and like, maybe I feel like this. No, 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 don't. Maybe I feel like this. No, 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 I don't. And I didn't understand that. So at first I was like, what? No, 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 what? No, 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 what? And so uh, for, I think, again, like for us, communication is not about crafting great sentences, but being patient and loving and really trying to get the intent behind and the content of what they're trying to say. So when we think about, and this is just kind of transitioning into Rob's, um, uh, what he's going to say about guidelines for handling disagreements. I think first we have to have the background of, do we want to be reconciled or do we want to be right? And then in being reconciled, are we applying patience and love to, to really hear what our spouse is trying to say? Uh, and then from that, handle the actual disagreement. So, Rob, if you want to you take it from there. Man, that was all so good. That's what I was going to say. <laughs> no. um, that really was, uh, that, that was awesome. I'm just going to give, uh, <laughs> and we're done. Um, this was the last question I worked on, and it, 
it reveals that my brain was mushy. So I'm just going to walk through kind of bullet list what I had written down. I think that'll be the best. Uh, I want to start with Proverbs 29:11 that says, "A fool gives full vent to his spirit, but a wise man quietly holds it back." And I, and and I think that that can be key. And man, a lot of times we can if if we strive for wisdom, biblical wisdom, that man we'll learn to restrain our lips, and then there won't even be offenses. <laughs> you know that we can we can if, if we filter things. Sing, if we filter our emotions and our initial gut reaction through scripture and, and and through a moment of prayer, oftentimes, yeah, we'll we'll think that's not worth saying right now, or you know what, I was about to uh, take offense at something, but if I can filter it through the Word of God and extend the benefit of the doubt and think maybe that no, that's not what she means by that. That look, I'm mean, I'm misinterpreting her look and bringing all this background into it you know, and imposing it on the, what I perceived as a sideway glance, which means she thinks I'm inadequate as a man and don't provide well and then too lazy. What? You know, like she was looking at the corner of her eye, you know? And so I, I think just taking the time and man, this is where meditating on Proverbs is so beneficial because it gives us these nuggets of truth that, okay, yeah, like this is common to man. It's common for us not to give the benefit of the doubt. It's common for us to be quick to speak and slow to hear, and it's supposed to be the other way around, right? Um, so uh, some, some basic principles, I think, when, when there is conflict, when there is a disagreement, own what's yours to own. Always see in it what's mine to own right here. I think humility and repentance are contagious. I, I really do. And I think if you can stop in whatever is going on, whatever disagreement and argument, if you can think, where am I, where, where maybe am I wrong or how have I been harsh or how have I made this situation worse? If you can stop and own that and just give an unqualified apology and be humble in that situation, right? It's another proverb, right? Proverbs uh, 15.1, a soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Man, I can diffuse so much by just saying, you know what? I responded to you. I was way out of line. I was harsh. I'm sorry. Man, that can totally defuse a situation, and now we can handle the issue with, with, with grace and humility and love and thinking more about, okay, what I did wrong and where I can be corrected rather than what they did to offend me and where I need to get even, right? And just diffusing it. Um, uh, don't snowball issues, right? That's, this is where you, a lot of times if you're sucked into the moment, you've got to be able to push back and go, okay, I'm not about to just start firing off everything that I've not liked in the past 12 years, right? Don't snowball issues. I mean, deal with the one issue um, that's, that's at hand. Uh, pray for humility and wisdom. I think uh, this, this point is really big. Uh, sometimes you've just got to be, you've got to have enough wisdom, get enough self-control if you can feel that you're on the verge of losing it um, to choose the right time and the right place to talk about it. It may not be right then. And you may need to be one of you to say, you know what, this is not the time and the place, you know, uh, and, and say, Let, let's talk about this in the light of day. Let's talk about this when we're arrested, when we both have time to pray um, and, and seek the Lord. Again, it'll diffuse so much, and it'll stop you from saying uh, harsh and hurtful things that you just can't take back, right? You just can't take it back. There can be forgiveness and grace, 
but man, once those words are launched, there's no coming back. So being able to choose the right time and place. Um, Yeah. Yeah, so one thing that uh, I I think I I wish a lot of couples would would understand is um, we're talking a lot about the communication and how we interact. But be aware of the nonverbals that are happening while you guys are talking. So if my wife comes to me and she she has a grievance or she just really wants to talk, but like I'm doing this right here, like what what am I communicating to my wife? That whatever is happening here is more important than she is. And even if I set it down on the table and I got it face up, and that cell phone dings and I look down while she's talking and I'm doing this constantly, I'm still saying the same thing. I'm saying. This is more important. Some of us will like mitigate that. We'll flip it over with like face down. Like that's any better. We're still physically putting this between us and our spouse. So talking about like right time, right place, like creating an environment where you can have conversation apart from distractions. That way those nonverbal things don't start spinning other, uh, your spouse out about where their, where's their head really at right now. Like be engaging with one another. Great. So if you've been, uh, elbowing each other on questions maybe it's um maybe the right time and place to talk is now um you know it this is a this is a unique time where we're addressing a lot of things this weekend that may be hitting close to home for you and so maybe the most healthy thing for your marriage is for you to skip supper now and to to talk things out or maybe that time is going to come later on or maybe it's uh, seeking counsel with another couple and so men encourage you guys to let again let this be the beginnings of conversations so uh, thank you guys and uh, let me pray for us and uh, and we'll thank the Lord for our supper and and it'll be about ready by the time we get down there so um, let's pray Jesus thanks for uh, our marriages Lord, and I know that everybody is here because they want their marriages to honor you. Uh, they want to be closer to their spouse, God. And we know that these are, um, these are feelings that are born from the Holy Spirit. And thank you for that, God, that, uh, that these men and women would dedicate a weekend to uh, arranging uh, other people to fill in at work and other people to watch kids and uh, putting other plans on hold so that they can focus on their marriages, God. And I pray that you would uh, reward them with closeness with you and closeness with each other, God. And I pray that they would have the conversations that need to be had. God, that you would, uh, you would just open up rich conversation even at supper tonight and prepare us to hear from your word again tonight. We love you, Lord Jesus, and thank you for the food we're about to eat. In your name we pray. Amen.